verses 18 to 20, but I'll be reading from verses 10 uh, just to give us some context. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shown, having shed your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Derek. Thanks, John, for reading God's word to us. Uh, tonight we're going to look at Ephesians. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to look at the whole book. We're going to study the whole book tonight. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to focus tonight on, on verses 18 through 20. Uh, but in order for us to understand the context of this passage, I wanted John to, to read from 10 on, uh, but we'll actually be studying and looking at the, whole, the wholeness of the book of Ephesians. So... We're going to kind of quickly go through Ephesians really quick, just so that we know why he's ending up here. Uh, this great letter begins declaring all the spiritual blessings that we've been blessed with in Christ. Right? If there is any epistle in the New Testament that celebrates what we have in Christ, it is this epistle. In the New Testament, it, it, this epistle in the New Testament celebrates what we have in Christ. It's, it's an accumulation of all blessings, benefits, privileges, gifts, and empowerment. Now, prayer then, in chapter 6, becomes the closing theme in the, in the letter of Ephesians. It is not mentioned as part of the Christian's armor because it's more than that. Uh, John kind of read through uh, really quick the, the whole armor of God. But it's not mentioned in the Christian's armor because it's much, much more than that. The armor ended in verse 17, and prayer is in addition to that. Prayer is actually in concert with that. It's, it's together. There's, a cons there's this togetherness to it. So the Apostle Paul is not saying in addition to these things, add prayer, but rather it's woven. What's woven into this armor is prayer. And all the while where we are attending to the belt of uh, truthfulness, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. All the while we're engaged with those elements, the, the shield of faith, right? But all at the same time, we're involved with prayer. Praying always all through the procedure of arming ourselves, right? All through the demands of the battle, all through whether it's the heat of the war or if we're at a lull, we are engaged in prayer, right? Prayer is the very air that we breathe. We need it. If we hold our breath and, and don't take in air, we suffer, right? And that's how our spiritual life is. 
we withhold prayer in our lives, in our lives, we suffer. All the while, you live the Christian life, right? All the time you put on the armor, all the time you fight, you're breathing and breathing and you're breathing. And it's the same, right? In prayer, this is how it is. Prayer permeates all that, right? It's interwoven into this armor that we have. I think in reading, um, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I opened up the book Discipline by Mark Dever, the book that we're going through, through for our flock groups, uh, he talks about Pilgrim's progress a lot. So uh, I'm just going to give a little section of it. If you haven't read it, it's actually uh, pretty interesting. I'm not completely done with it, but if you want and you're interested, it's free on Kindle. So plug. It's free. Free for Kindle. They should sponsor me. <coughs> but in reading Pilgrim's Progress, it talks about how God gives to Christian, and he gives his allegory, right? He gives him a weapon called all prayer, and the instruction that when everything else fails, this will cause you to be able to defeat all the enemies that come in the valley of the shadow. But prayer is really more than what Bunyan sees here, right? Bunyan's the author. It's more than an additional weapon. It is the atmosphere in which all our living occurs, all our fighting, all our arming ourselves, it, it's, again, that permeating sense that it's woven into our armor. It's the very breath that we need. Now, the fact that this is the most cl climatic in the book of Ephesians, this passage that we have, it's not by accident where this is the, the apex of where we are. Our Lord urged men always to pray and not to faint in Luke 18.1. And he, know that, he knows that in battle, when it gets tough, when it gets hot, right, you can't faint. I mean, sorry, when it gets tough, people normally do faint. You could get weary. You can give up. You can abandon the fight. You could flee the other way, right? If you had a sword and you ran towards a cannon, you'd probably run the other way. But you only have two alternatives. You either pray or faint. Right? There's no middle ground. And so in the warfare that he's just talked about, prayer becomes vital. But it's more than just that context. Right? The reason prayer comes here is because it fits the ending of the total book. The whole letter of Ephesians comes to this climax and a peak. And there's this pinnacle at this point. And as if, it's as if prayer is, is just rising with the rest of the music. And there's this crescendo when you watch like, uh, movies and it's building up in this war. And it's this great anthem of praise that is written in the book of Ephesians. And here's why I say that. So if you quickly, if you want, you could turn back to Ephesians 1. But you don't have to. Uh, I can, I'm just going to blaze through it for you guys because... We don't have too much time. But if you go back in Ephesians, you'll find, as we have looked over really quick, that more than anything else, more than any other epistle, the resources of a believer is loaded in here. All these resources point to us being in Christ, right? It is incomparable to any other book, right? It is a long catalog of all the things that are ours as a, as a Christian. Now, you might think in a book with such tremendous resources, prayer wouldn't be very necessary, right? After reading all this in Ephesians, you'll probably think prayer is probably not that necessary, Right? What would we pray for? For example, according to chapter 1, verse 3, we are super blessed. 
according to chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, we are super loved. According to chapter 1, verse 7, we are forgiven and redeemed. Chapter 1, verse 8 says we are given wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 11 says we are made rich. Chapter 1, verse 13 says we are secure, sealed with the Spirit. Chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, we are alive with new life. Chapter 2, verse 7, we are the objects of eternal grace. Chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. And again, chapter 2, verse 10, we are called to a life of good works, which God will do through us. And in that very same chapter, verse 13 to 18, we are one with God and with every other Christian. Chapter 2, verse 19, we are members of God's intimate family. Chapter 2, verse 22, we are the very habitation of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at chapter 3, verse 20, we are powerful beyond our own imagination. Then chapter 3, verse 21, we are able to glorify God. And it's amazing what God has done for us beyond anything we can even imagine. Right? When we move from there into the fourth chapter, it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. In chapter 4, verse 3, we are told we possess the living spirit of God in us. In chapter 4, verses 4 to, four to 6, we are members of the body of Christ. In chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, we have received gifts and gifted men to perfect us to do the work of the ministry. In chapter 4, verses 20 to 24, we have Jesus Christ to teach us to walk a new life. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, we have received the love of God so that we can walk in love. In chapter 5, verse 8, we have received God's very light so that we dwell in light. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, we have received the wisdom and the truth of God so that we can walk wisely in the world. In chapter 5, verse 18, we have received the full, we have received the power of the fullness of the Spirit of God. In chapter 5, verse 21 through chapter 6, verse 9, we have received the resources to make every human relationship all that God ever intended it to be. And then, finally, we, we come down to chapter 6, verse 10. And it says, we have received armor. Right? Though we have all these things, we have a formidable foe. And we need to be armed to have victory over him. And Jesus gives us this armor. Right? God gives us this armor. On, on top of all the things that we're given through the five chapters, we're also given this added armor to defend ourselves from the onslaught of Satan and as, how, he, how he works through the world system against our sinful flesh. Where we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. We lack nothing, but it is precisely this point that there is potentially a destructive problem, right? And you might call it spiritual overconfidence. Paul knew this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And by the time you get to verse 17 of chapter 6, you start to feel invincible. You're saying, I have all these things that God has given me, all these resources. I even have the full armor of God, I'm invincible. Since we have all the blessings, all power, all resources, all grace, and since victory is guaranteed, triumph is settled, and you have the Spirit as the seal of that final triumph and full inheritance, since you have all these things, you might think, this is enough. This is all we need. But the reality is, we're still human. We still have remaining sin. We still operate with the principles of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And though we are a new creation, we are confined in this flesh. 
right? We are confined in that sinful flesh. And we cannot become smug and feeling adequate, think that we can just march on in understanding of these theological truths with no need of God. And when all is said and done, when all is in place, verse 18 brings us to the culmination. It says, take all this armor, put it on. With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the spirit. So he's warning them, even with all this, you might think that you don't lack anything, but we're all vulnerable. We can all stumble. We can all fall into sin. We can all be defeated along the way. We can bring dishonor to the Lord. We can bring dishonor and shame in the church. We can wound ourselves in the matter of sin. We can have disobedience to the degree that we destroy our own personal testimony and our own opportunity for service and usefulness to the Lord. We can forfeit our joy. Paul says, at the end of everything, you must realize that even with all that you have, Remaining sin is so powerful, and Satan himself has devised such a mighty force in the world, in the world system, that you need constant submission to God in prayer. You have to depend on him. Right? I think it's a hidden danger that Christians who have a knowledge of doctrine, who has a, a very strong knowledge of doctrine, right, a fairly effective grip on principles of living the Christian life can become satisfied and that sort of heart-rending, passionate, constant dependence on God could not be there. It could be missing. And that is sin. And that is very dangerous. So Paul closes this great letter and he puts the final exclamation point to all his imperatives in this book. Its impact is only felt by understanding the whole book of Ephesians, which is why we, we just blazed over it. And we might treat this statement about prayer like so many other prayers, uh, so many other statements about prayers, but prayer seems for most people to be something of an option. But here, it's the culmination of everything. Right? With all your blessings and all the armor, praying at all times. Tonight, we'll look at three aspects of prayer in the church. Right, our passage tonight will tell us when, what, and how. When, what, and how. Right? There's, there's certainly a lot more. I could have covered the who and the why. But tonight, I just want to focus on three. Um, if you want more, refer to Pastor Roger's message on prayer at last year's retreat. It's the very first workshop. Uh, it is very good. Um, he does such a good job on that. Plug. <laughs> <laughs> the first, when. When do we pray? Let's pray right now before I begin. <laughs> Father God, I ask that you would just be with us, Lord. Help us to stay alert and hear the word, receive it as it nourishes our body, as it nourishes our soul. Lord, I pray that we would come and be able to study your word, hear your word preached, hear it taught, Lord, that, Lord, it would transform and shape us. Lord, give us energy for tonight. Let us be excited for what we we're going to look into tonight. We thank you for just hearing our prayers and that we have this relationship with you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so first, the when. When do we pray? Look at verse 18. Praying at all times. Praying at all times. We'll stop right there. What does it mean? Well, if you were to dissect it and exegete it, it means exactly what it says. Praying at all times. There doesn't need to be an, a full explanation of that. Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, watch and pray always. 
right? The early apostles said in Acts 6, 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Paul in Romans 12, 12 says, continue diligently in prayer. In Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. The idea here is that you're constantly praying, praying at all times, right? This stretches beyond just recited prayer, right? This is not just some isolated prayer experience that you've had, which is typical of Judaism, right? Formula prayers, hours to pray, times to pray, places to pray, postures in which to pray, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a life pattern. We're talking about the consciousness of God's presence at all times, right? Which leaves your heart fully open to him, right? You see all events in life as related to God, right? If you see something good, what is your immediate response to what is good? It is to offer God thanks and praise and adoration. But if you see evil, you see sin, what is your response? You ask him to make it right. You confess it. You pray for the sinner. You grieve that God is dishonored, that his name is reproached. You ask God to vindicate himself and to bring righteousness where there is only iniquity. You see trouble. You see people in distress. What is your initial response? To go to God and ask that God will somehow be honored in the distress and bring a deliverance that can glorify his name. Right? It's simply living your life having that kind of perspective so that God is the filter. He is the filter to your eyes. As you look through that filter, with every experience that passes, you have this godly perspective. Right? You ought to see everything that way, right? Good, bad, indifferent, minor, major, big picture, small picture. We should see it through God's lens. When Paul said in Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer, he used a, a verb, kartereo, which means to be steadfast and constant. It's the same verb used in Hebrews 11.27, speaking of Moses enduring. It's the enduring attitude of prayer. It's to hang in there with strength, especially in times when it requires perseverance. Right? There will be times when you'll ask, Lord, why did you choose to do that? Why did that happen? Now, help me understand. It's, it's a struggle for me. I, I can't understand it. How can you tolerate this? And every time I check the news, especially uh, sfgate.com uh, on my lunch break, uh, right on the front page, right on the front page, I see another shooting. Yesterday in Annapolis, Maryland, five people died by a man armed with smoke grenades and a shotgun. There has been one school shooting on average every week this year, and it's ridiculous. Around the world, there are news of massacres and wars. There's news about abortion. And there are other things we don't understand, such as loved ones receiving news of illness, terminal illness. Perhaps we have the illness, and it seems like whatever the case is, the illness always wins. And people will ask, why did this happen, and why did God allow it? We don't know. But what we do know is that we trust God. And oftentimes we struggle with this reality. 
We cry out like the martyrs under the altar in Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 9 reads this. When he, the lamb, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? He's saying, how long, O Lord, how long till you will be vindicated? And things like this will no longer have to happen. You see, it's not easy to keep having a godly perspective on things. It's a struggling, persevering love of righteousness and a love of honoring God and a desire to see God exalted and glorified. And so the prayer is always, Lord, glorify yourself somehow. Glorify yourself through this. I might not understand it. And it may be against every grain of everything that I think makes sense. But show yourself powerful. Bring honor to yourself. This part of persistent in, persistence in prayer is what Jesus talked about after he had taught the disciples how to pray. Luke 11, 5, 13. Uh, sometimes I like to title this parable as, or this story as um, the annoying friend, but it, Luke eleven five thirteen 13 says, but it's actually the very persistent friend. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I will tell you, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This man in the story kept knocking, kept knocking, and because of his much knocking, he received what he wanted from someone who didn't really care about him. And the point that our Lord is making is, if somebody doesn't, who doesn't care about you that much will give you what you want because you just bugged him out of annoyance, right? what will God give you when he loves you if you're persistent? My wife and I are overwhelmed with emotions and gratitudes whenever someone says that they've been praying for either me or her or both of us. Um, I had a mysterious stomach kind of issue five years ago where it caused me to lose 40 pounds. Uh, I, I couldn't eat much. I felt tired. couldn't sleep. I asked for a prayer around the church. Um, I told everyone because I needed that prayer. Uh, I knew that there's no other person that could heal me or no other person that could give me comfort besides God. So I asked for it. I fished for it. But there was nothing the doctors could, could do or find. But I knew that God was in control. So I, I spent the next two years trying to regain my weight. I'd do like two push-ups one day, three the next. <laughs> Keep increasing. I hit the max of 10. <laughs> one pound. I gained one pound. I gained my strength and just, and, and time has passed by so much that I forgot about it. I forgot about it. I totally forgot I had this stomach issue. It just seems so weird because 
when someone would ask me, like, hey, you're eating. I'm like, yeah, don't you eat too? <laughs> I'm like, isn't that what's wrong? But I forgot that that wasn't my norm for a year. That wasn't my norm. And last year, someone asked me, hey, how's your stomach issue? He says, I've been praying for you. And that is incredible. This person knew I was struggling. I was fighting my thoughts about where God was in this whole ordeal. I asked for prayer about this. And they pleaded to God for me. Another couple that we had dinner with, uh, with told us that they've been praying for my wife and I every single day. Every single day for the past three to four years. And this is for a different issue. But it's the consistency of their prayer that overwhelms us. It's their constant praying and pleading with the Lord that overwhelms us. It shows us the love of Christ. It shows us that they believe in God, the one who is full control, who can give this love. I was blown away. I probably, in my confession, I probably pray, pray for food more than you guys. And it's just overwhelming. That kind of consistency, that kind of persistence, that kind of knocking at God's door on behalf of us. One of the greatest examples of someone who is persistent in prayer is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He made it a priority to pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. If we are to be a man or a woman of prayer, then we ought to pray as he prayed. In Luke's gospel alone, we see that Jesus prayed at his baptism in chapter 3. That Jesus prayed continually, day by day, in desolate places in chapter 5. And that when crowds increased in chapter 5, he devoted himself again to prayer as the press and the demands of ministry were being placed upon him. We see Jesus, before he chose the twelve, spent the night in prayer in chapter 6. When he asked the twelve for the great confession, who do men say that I am? Jesus had been in prayer in chapter 9. And at his transfiguration, we read that he had spent time with the Father in prayer in chapter 9. And again and again, we read in Luke's gospel, all the way into the upper room before he gave the cup and bread, all the way into Gethsemane, when he fell on his face before the Lord, and poured out his soul in prayer. Our Lord was a man of prayer. He was constantly and continually living in communion with the Father and utterly dependent upon his Father to sustain him. And the connecting link between his soul and heaven was prayer. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect Son of Man, had to depend upon God in prayer, then how much more, how much more do we, mere mortal men, sinful men with feet of clay, such as you and me, do we need to be continually in prayer? If Jesus prayed and if Jesus received strength from the Father in prayer, then how much more do you and I need to be in prayer? Prayer is constant, it's consistent, and it's a God-perspective, resilience kind of prayer because you're struggling with the world and the way it is with the world because you love to see God honored. You want to see God honored. You want to see him glorified. Right? That's where your love is. The second aspect is how. How do we pray? So when do we pray and how do we pray? Look back at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit 
with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What does that mean? All kinds of prayers, right? You pray all the time. You pray all kinds of prayers, whether in public, private, verbal, silent, soft, loud, deliberate, planned, unplanned, spontaneous. You have requests, you have thanks, you have confession, humiliation, praise, whether you're standing, kneeling, lying down, lifting up your hands, all kinds of prayer. But I've noticed that lying down is probably the worst for me. <laughs> I can never really get a focused, concentrated prayer going. I don't know why. This is the worst one. <laughs> I'll start with something, and as I'm praying about someone's job situation, I'll start to drift, right, especially at night. I'll start, I'll start to think about random things, like somehow I got from praying about patients at work to Oreo cookies dipping in, in milk. I'm pretty sure that you guys are laughing because you, you, you know, right? You know this. Your mind kind of just wanders. I'm, I'm not sure why. I can't focus when I'm lying down. It just drifts. I'm, I, I can't put the connecting, the, the connecting thoughts of, you know, someone's serious illness to, you know, why zebras have black and white, you know, kind of things on them. I just, I just don't know. But the key here is every kind of prayer expressive of every emotional attitude, of every kind of thinking in every circumstance Right? That's the idea. That it, it permeates through everything, every single event in your life. Pray all kinds of prayers and all kinds of supplication. Right? And in some of your translations, I'm using the ESV, uh, some of them says petition. Right? Pray all kinds of petition. Pray every definite prayer in every way, in every manner, on, and on every occasion. Just like in, in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. We pray in the general pattern of life and in the specific issues of life we are to pray. And in regards to talking about the armor, this part is part of our defense. This is part of the, the extra armor that we have. This is part of our protection. This is what allows us to defeat the schemes of Satan. It's the kind of living that opens up our resources to the flow of God's power. Right? Pray in every way you can possibly pray, in every kind of prayer, in every circumstance which calls for prayer. Right? It needs to be a variety of everything. It doesn't need to be just one thing. We pray prayers of thanksgiving, we come together and worship. Sometimes our prayers are filled with joy. Sometimes our exuberance is manifest in our praying. And then there are times when we pray and our eyes are filled with tears. And they're all the range of emotions that we experience as human beings, which, gives, which give rise to certain kinds of prayers. There are all kinds of circumstances, good, bad, indifferent, horrible as well as wonderful that draw out prayer. The idea is that you have this utter dependence on God. And prayer is a demonstration and reminder of that re reliance to the Father. Right? In all things that we do. We don't do it out of our own power, our own strength. But whatever we do, the decisions that we make it goes back to God. Then we continue and look back at Ephesians 6.18 to see how else we are supposed to pray. Right? Look at verse 18. It says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It says, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, you need to know what you're praying about. Right? Find something to pray about. 
it's always fun to, to kind of listen to kids pray because they start off with a general sense, right? The parents kind of teach them how to pray, just, uh, just pray for anything. You know, sometimes they're just like, dear God, thank you for auntie, uncle coming over and my milk. Amen. And you're just like, great, but that's not milk. <laughs> and as we grow and we mature in our spiritual growth, we get more specific. Right? We're more alert at what we need to pray on, what we need to focus on. Right? We're not just throwing words out there, saying, I pray for all you guys, that you guys will all be good and hooded after you leave this place, and you'll be fine. What does that even mean? Right? Find something to pray about. Watch. Watch. Keep alert. Mark 14.38, Jesus said, watch and pray. 1 Peter 4.7, watch unto prayer. This is incessant attentiveness, village, uh, vigilance, alertness. Right? Pick out specifics. Perseverance. The Greek means intensive commitment. So watch. See what's going on. Pray on the positive side. Pray defensively, right? Uh, in Luke 11, it talks about the Lord's prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, right? The Lord teaches his disciples how to pray, right? That's a defensive prayer as well as prayers to glorify himself, to, magni ma to manifest his kingdom, right? And that is the, the first thing, actually, on the Lord's prayer. And so I'm glad that Stephen... You know, chose that first song, Let Your Kingdom Come. I think that's your first song, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Most people, I think, don't pray in a persevering way, right? Unless some personal tragedy strikes them, and then they pray more. But that really manifests our tendency, doesn't it, right, to be selfish, that we only pray when we feel like it or when we need it. We don't get consumed with the things that consume the heart of Christ. We tend to get consumed with the things that affect us. We're a little less sometimes consumed with the things that affect others. Persevering prayer on behalf of those things that are a concern to the heart of God, which is everything that occurs within the framework of his purpose and his kingdom. That is a mark of a believer who is mature, right? When he thinks about Christ and his purpose and his kingdom, things that concern others, right? Watching beyond ourselves, persevere, persevering in, all, in an all-consuming devotion to prayer. We have some of our brothers and sisters on mission trips right now. Some of them are doing short-term missions. Some of them are doing training all over the world. But they need prayer because they're vulnerable to physical attacks, spiritual attacks, sickness, mental fatigue, spiritual fatigue. This is why it's important for us to be constantly in prayer. Right? There's never a point where it's enough and we don't need God for just a moment. But how often are we alert enough to know that someone needs prayer? Which is why some of us are, you know, um, there was that announcement for the, the, the prayer list, for the prayer group. And that's why there's mailing lists for those who went out to missions, right, to sign up so that you can be alert, so that you know specifically what you ought to pray for. If you know that your brother or sister dealt with the tough issue at work or at home or perhaps they, they just need encouragement, be alert. Hear what they're talking about in their conversations, right? See how they're acting and then put it on your prayer list. You can tell. You can tell by this because you'll be talking about something joyful and they'll always go back to the same topic about you know, something in the home, you know, words that talk about just you know, sadness or just, you know, I just have no energy today. Be alert. 
Colossians chapter 4 is a good illustration of this. Epaphras, who is one of your number, Paul says to the Colossians, a slave of Jesus Christ, send you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. I bear him witness. He has a deep concern for you. This is somebody who was a persevering person who watched, who saw needs, and who prayed faithfully in an all-consuming effort. This leads us to our third and final aspect. Who do we pray for? Right? We have the when do we pray, how do we pray, and who do we pray for? If you look at verse 18, it says, making supplication or petition for all the saints. All the saints. But the direct object is whom? Is God. Because in the end, as John 14 says, the promise is this, that whatever you ask in his name, he will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Right? The direct object of all your prayers is God. You pray to God for God's glory, and the indirect object is who? The saints. You pray for the saints so that those saints of God may display his glory. So you pray for all the saints, praying at all times in all kinds of prayers, right? all kinds of prayers with all alertness and all perseverance for all the saints. And this is how the body of Christ operates. A Christian is not to think of only his own conflict, but that of the whole body. Not to be concerned only with his own issues, but those of the whole body. We need to understand that part of the body of Christ's function is praying for each other. And this, of course, is the epistle in which there is much important instruction about life of the body of Christ in chapter 4. Right? When your physical body is hurt, when your physical body is ill, all the other parts of the body come together, don't they? Right? To compensate for that, to defend you, to fight for you, to heal, to restore you. There was a, there was a basketball player on the Golden State Warriors by the name of David Lee. All-star guy. Really great guy, miss him. But he, he is um, a righty. But he became a lefty. He became a lefty because when he was young, he injured himself. And the other part of the body compensating, he learned how to be a lefty, too. I know some of you guys are looking around. It could be the other way around, so I'm sorry. I didn't confirm that yet. But in any case, one of his arms got injured. <laughs> <laughs> but this is how it compensates. The body compensates for you, right? This is how it is in the body of Christ. When one member has a need, when one member has a struggle, or when, one, when other members have a struggle, we come alongside and we minister healing and mercy and grace and restoration to each other. This could go on for a long time. We could talk about this for a long time. But the idea here is to be consumed with praying for others. Right? Not just our own concerns, not being selfish about ourselves. It's so hard to get beyond us. But we must be always praying for all the saints, which is why we have to stay alert to be able to know what it is that each of us are struggling with. And I keep sharing you examples of ways that this body, this church, has prayed for, for me, my family. Even as last year, I had a surgery back in April, 
uh, I, I was really scared because this is, this was my big, my first big surgery. I have never had like anything that I had to do to go under and um, I know some of you who had, you know, your first surgery felt like this, um, but a lot of people were like, dude, that's minor, that's minor. But I was like, no, this is my first, you know, big surgery. And I was scared. I mean, anything that, that puts me to sleep and I have no idea what's going on, I call that, that's, that's major surgery. <laughs> and I remember being at UCSF um, and waiting in the patient area, looking around the room and wondering if everybody thought, if everyone felt that same fear that I felt. Right? My hands were, were shaking, and they're sweaty, they're, they're clammy. And I kept praying and praying and praying. It was 5 a.m. and dark, right? And it was just weird being in this hospital where I always, I mean, I always pass by it to go eat lunch. And it's just, and it's weird being there as a patient myself. And I was scared. And I remember all of a sudden my phone is, it bleeps and I get a text from, from someone and then I opened up an email. And this email was from an elder's wife. She remembered. She remembered that I had surgery. She remembered that I was scheduled for it. She remembered that I told her that I was so scared that, you know, I felt like, I don't know. I just didn't know what to do. And she wrote me this. She said, she said, Derek, please know that we are lifting you up in prayer as our Lord guides the hands of Dr. Blank tomorrow. We pray that God will use the surgery to fulfill the plans he has for you. Stay strong, knowing that many have gone before you. And may God grant you peace and confidence in his presence. So that God bless you. That short email brought me to truth. In the midst of my fear and my doubting, it brought me to the truth that God is sovereign. That we can rely on God for comfort. That we can have confidence in him. That he is near and not far. And all of these prayers are possible because it occurs in the spirit. All of this occurs in the spirit. All the different kinds of prayers, all the times of prayers, all the things that cause us to pray and persevere and pray in prayer. All the, for all the saints whom we pray, all of our praying needs to be in the Spirit. All right, look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit. And what that means is that we are to pray in harmony with the Holy Spirit. Pray consistently with the mind and the will of the Spirit. A clear understanding of that is granted to us in the 8th chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit helps our weakness. A lot of times that we're scared even to pray in a group or pray with our friends. Because we don't know how to pray. right? We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That is just one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible. And here we are, we're believers, he's talking about us. He's saying we need help because we don't know, we don't even know what to pray for sometimes. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. There are things we can't anticipate. There are things that are too complicated for us to know which direction to direct our prayers. We don't always know what to pray for or how to pray. So the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Father knows what you need, that the Spirit prays in perfect accord with the will of the Father. In Romans 8, 27, it says, He intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God. 
And then Paul closes this letter with a practical opportunity to put these principles to work. If you go back to Ephesians 6, verse 19, here's his application. He says, pray on my behalf. As long as we're talking about prayer, he's saying, what about me? You know, what did he want? Did he want prosperity? No. Earthly success? No. Results? No. All he wanted was pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. That's as far as he could go. He couldn't determine the results. He couldn't determine the effect. Just pray. Just pray that when I open my mouth, the truth, the truth of God and the glory of the gospel will come out boldly. Right? And that's as far as any preacher can go because this is, as he says, is why he lives. It is for the mystery of the gospel that he is an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, he may speak boldly as he ought to speak. He says, pray for my utterance, pray for my boldness, because the price of me doing this is very high. He says, that's, that's why I'm in prison. It was the great Puritan, John Owen, who said, a minister may fill his pews, his communion rolls rose. The mouths of the public. But what that minister is on his knees in secret before God, that is what he is and no more. And I believe that Owen is right and that what we are alone with God in private is the reality of what we are before God, and that our entire public ministry is but the overflow of what we are when we are alone with God. One of the most vital disciplines of the Christian life is prayer. It is the very breath that we need. With that, let's Father God, you have given us so much grace, so much riches. We have more than we can ever ask for. And we are equipped with the Holy Spirit to discern, to be able to help us in our weakness so that we know what to pray for and how to pray. Lord, I pray that we would take up prayer more often, Lord. That we would be prostrate on the floor. That we wouldn't just be casually praying to you, Lord, as if it didn't mean anything. Lord, to, but to recognize that we have this holy communion with you, Lord, to have this kind of conversation with you, to have this relationship with you in prayer, and that you are near listening to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would not forget that. Lord, that we would pray at all times, whether it's in the morning or at night, whether it's good or a bad thing, Lord, that we would continue to pray and that we would be strong in our faith in praying. Lord, help us to humble ourselves, to remind us that we are not in control of our own things, Lord, but to humbly submit ourselves to be fully and utterly dependent on you, Lord. And we do so with joy because it gives you honor and makes you happy. And Lord, we're so grateful for just tonight. We pray that you would just bless the conversations, Lord. May we continue to be alert for one another 
to pray for one another and do so more and more each day, Lord. We thank you and pray all this in your name. Amen.